reaching out to you for your guidance and your help so that we can work together and unify our great country. Hi, this is Matthew Beers with Forecast International. I'm here with Dan Darling, Derek Bisacchio, Bill Ostrov, and Ray Jarowski. Today we'll be discussing the 2016 presidential election of Donald Trump and how the election will affect the international aerospace and defense markets. Segwaying kind of into the world aerospace market and the world defense market, the media has reported a number of times there might be a threat to global free trade. Um, Ray, what, what do you have to say in terms of the aerospace and defense market? Well, f- from a defense industrial perspective, uh, it should be kept in mind that even though Trump has expressed non-interventionist or even isolationist leanings, that doesn't necessarily imply neglect of the U.S. military. Right. He has also, at the same time, expressed very strong support for rebuilding the military. Right. If you look at the advisors he has around him, um, they're all with, within that same line of thinking. That right. He wants to rebuild the U.S. military. So we're, we're probably going to see an uptick in defense spending. We're right. already starting to see one. See one. Um, we would certainly have seen one under Hillary Clinton, who's a little bit to the right of Obama anyways. Right. Uh, with Trump, um, there will definitely be an uptick. There are some fiscal constraints over how much defense spending can accelerate, at least over right. the next couple of years. But that is that is good news for the industry. One thing that a focus will be kept on, um, what the, the industry will be looking at, is who he picks in his cabinet. Um, right. Who will he pick for defense secretary? Right now, the name you keep hearing is Senator Jeff Sessions, who was one of the first, if not the first, elected public official to endorse Trump, has been with him right along. He's a longtime member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, a strong supporter of a strong U.S. defense posture, a bit non-interventionist again, like Trump himself, but certainly someone who's going to support uh, robust defense spending. Um Trump himself has made some oblique criticisms of the F-35 program. The F-35 is the next generation U.S. fighter intended to replace a host of platforms across uh, three U.S. military services. However, the F-35 at this point is so far down the road, there's been so much money sunk into it that it's safe. You might see some nibbling away at the total quantity buy, Right. But it is so central to U.S. defense planning and to the defense planning of allies who are looking to buy the F-35 that right. the program itself is, is fairly safe. Okay. I think a second aspect um, in terms of the international defense industry, uh, the industry outside the U.S. and um, countries in general, politicians out the, outside the U.S., I think what Trump has to do is kind of calm the fears, particularly in Europe. Um, The statements he's made about NATO, particularly in light of a recently reassertive Russia, um, one of the best things he can do is is the way he constructs his cabinet. Um, Who he picks as Secretary of State, I think, will be be something that will be eyeballed and concentrated on intensely. Someone like John Bolton, whose name has come up, who's one of the few kind of Republican establishment foreign policy experts, right. who has been somewhat favorable to Trump. A lot have walked away from Trump. Mm-hmm. He's one that has been somewhat favorable to Trump. He He's a choice for Secretary of State that would reassure the Allies to a great extent. 
Another name you hear is Bob Porker, the, right. s- the senator from, from Tennessee. He would be somewhat reassuring. The third name you keep hearing for Secretary of State is Newt Gingrich. Right. That Gingrich, I think, would be seen internationally as a bit of a wild card, almost along the lines of Trump himself. I think that right. pick would be a little less reassuring. Not too much confidence in that choice. Um, well, I wouldn't say so much a lack of confidence, but uncertainty. as to exactly where he stands. I think Bolton would probably be the most reassuring pick. Um, But whoever he picks as Secretary of State, I think will go a long way towards how comfortable the Allies get with the idea of a Trump administration. I was going to add, you left out the Navy. Um, One of the comments Trump made today, or last night, I should say, was a Mm 350-ship Navy. So... The aspect of U.S. defense industry that would really benefit um, and the service arm that would really benefit would be the U.S. Navy and naval shipbuilding, which, like many aspects of our national defense industry here in the United States, has been consolidated and consolidated and is, you know, probably suffering as a result. There's less diversification. But if you're in, you know, Pascagoula or... Bath, Maine, it's probably the administration you want to see because there's no question our Navy, in terms of ships, has shrunk. Right. The, the, the Navy is an interesting aspect because, it, as with anything, the, the difficulties in the details. Um, Expensive you, ships right, or... You can or, set a goal of 350 ships, but what does that mean? Does right. it mean more carriers? Does mm-hmm. it mean more battleships? Um, as you mentioned, uh, warships in general, very, very high unit costs. Um, well, that depends on the build. Yes. Um, if they keep going, you know, the Zumwalt, which is a nice ship, but you can only afford three of them. You know, um, the old adage is one ship can't be in two places at one time. So what got lost in, in a lot of Western defense procurement over the past decade or two is looking for higher-end technology and sacrificing numbers mm-hmm. because of all the add-ins and the production costs. So it, I wouldn't have a clue as to what Trump would sign off on, right. which is what you're hitting at right. correctly. The, but The difficulties in the details, mm-hmm. the, the Reagan administration had a numerical goal of 300 or 350 ships, which even the Reagan people didn't didn't quite hit right. and eventually abandoned towards the end of the administration. Right. Um, so as I said, it, it's one thing to set that numerical goal. It, it's how do you get there? Right, and, and, and is it adding Coast Guard ships? Exactly. You know, Coast Guard so, ships. <laughs> so that's a big question, but I do think it's something. I, I do think if you're in the industrial sec- sector of defense right now, it's probably looking a little... Little rosy. better, yeah. Well, I think uh, that partly what Trump won the campaign on was was people working in uh, the industrial sector uh, across the the whole spectrum, not just defense. You know, the, right. you know if you look at right. you know Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania, you know those states that he was able to flip. Um, you know, I right. think he definitely yeah. was able to to attract that. It, it's uh, the anti-globalization issue for without question. Yeah, sure, but sure. And, and jobs that have fled or been outsourced for cost effective and, and labor cost reasons is right. definitely aided him. But yeah, a lot of those jobs just aren't coming back. So it, it's 
that's on another topic. Right. But right. yeah, I I do agree with you across the uh, spectrum. He did well in that regard. And oddly enough, that used to be the Democrats' power base. So elections are funny things. Uh, kind of going along with that, uh, one thing I was wondering, he, he had mentioned getting tougher on China, possibly adding additional tariffs on imports um, and, and, and some other, some other um, tougher stances against them. Um, Dan, how do you think that's going to affect our relationship with China and the security of the, the South China Sea? Well, tariffs in the South China Sea are two divergent issues, but I'll, I'll start with, um, as Ray was talking about, we really need to see who gets the cabinet picks and how this shapes out, how much they influence a president, because it's it's not as if a president sits there and, and unilaterally makes all these decisions. They they have cabinet meetings. They discuss policy. There's advisors. So I, I think Trump, the anti-globalist and pro-tariff guy, mm-hmm. versus Trump, the national security chief, are, as I said, two separate things. Um, one thing is in the South China Sea is how many countries in Southeast Asia are will be reassured once a Trump administration is in place and how many might continue wavering because in, in this past year we've seen the election in the Philippines and um, a, a very firebrand president take over there and suddenly he's leaning towards He's he's splitting off slightly from the United States. Some of that's rhetoric, but the important thing is sometimes the symbolism's just as important as the actions. And China is looking to pick off, so to speak, U.S. allies one by one. And it, now Malaysia's buying Chinese warships, which you know you can look at that as, okay, it's, it's nothing that important in the, in the larger scheme of things, but there's, without question, some wavering, a right. sense of wavering right. of some countries who go, China is a lot closer than the United States, is the United States a descending power versus an ascending China, and we trade so much with China and so much of their um, military, their Coast Guard, which is a militarized Coast Guard, um, is off our shores and so much of their, their commerce, their shipping commerce comes to our waters. Right. Where does our, our security lie? And that's a, a big question. And so it'll be interesting to see how the Trump administration um, reassures allies um, communicates with China in a positive fashion or a negative fashion. Um, certainly, one would hope the office, uh, the Oval Office, will have a sobering effect on Donald Trump. Right. And again, we just don't know what is campaign rhetoric and what is executive action. They're they're two vastly different things. So, I think to a large extent, it can be said that that Trump is a blank slate. He's he's a big picture guy. He, he may be the ultimate big picture guy, right. but he's not. A, he doesn't <laughs> the seem huge to, picture. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't seem to be a detail guy. And right. so who he surrounds himself with, 
are, is going to be key to how these policies evolve. He'll that seems s- to be the ongoing theme. Right. Yeah. He'll set the tone. But what the day-to-day policies are, that's going to be determined by the people around him. And, and Ray, just piggybacking on that, I think one of the interesting things is that, you know, it, it's important that he surrounds himself with some policymakers who have an idea of past policy and have experience in in their roles, yet at the same time, this is a man who ran on blowing away the establishment. So you have a strange dichotomy here where you kind of need some of that establishment, and yet a lot he ran on anti-establishment, and the people voted for that. So it, it's going to be an interesting He's four years for sure. Right. There's going to have to be a balance between the two. Um, and I'm, I'm sure he's going to work towards that. Um, uh, the main theme here, I, I think, is that a lot of things are not going to really change. Um, you know, the, the world aerospace market, the world um, defense market, um, the world security, a lot of things are going to stay the same. Anything that we think might be unstable um, is really going to be dependent on his choices for his cabinet and who he surrounds himself with. Uh, does anybody have anything right. else to the, say? The fortunate thing is the general public doesn't pay a lot of attention to the appointments. Right. Also, the fact that, that the Congress, both houses, um, are staying in Republican hands right. means that the, the Republican congressional leadership is also going to play a big role. I, right. If the Senate, for instance, had gone Democratic, then the Senate leadership would have been in the hands of the other party, really wouldn't have have had much influence on a Trump administration. Right. But now he's going to have input from Paul Ryan and his aides on the House side. He's going right. to have input from the Senate Republican leadership. So that's also kind of a stabilizing influence. Right. Um, again, it's, uh, as I said, it it's how the details are filled in on these overall big picture that he's created and who's filling in those details. Right. I want to just run back to Russia real quick and make a point that I meant to make earlier when we were talking about Europe, and that's that when Barack Obama came into office in 2008, one of the first things that he and his administration did, Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State, was hit the reset button with Russia. So the whole Russia thing, I think people will they might have a right to be nervous because, again, like you said, blank slate. At the same time, um, the warnings that Trump is going to surrender to the Russians and give up Eastern Europe might just be a bridge too far, at least for now. We have to wait and see how he handles his NATO allies. I cannot imagine it's going to be beating them up because... We've had two different administrations in the past 16 years that have pressed their NATO allies to raise defense spending. So Donald Trump, even if his comments are impolitic and not very statesmanlike on the campaign trail, is not saying anything new in terms of NATO allies needing to raise their defense budgets. All right, everybody, thank you for uh, joining us today. I think this was a great discussion. Uh, For our audience out there, we'll see you next time.